Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and I don't know what happened to my music. Wow, this is the unstoppable Frankie Picasso, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable Radio. Uh, as you know, I've been away for a few months, and although it's good to be back in the saddle, it's kind of interesting, lots of changes. I'm having trouble finding my switchboard again, but we will find it and everything's going to be great in just a second. Well, I did take the summer off to indulge myself by painting. I've been studying acrylic and watercolor and thought, gee, it'd be kind of fun to have some time to do that. I also took some time to get a house ready for sale, and that meant I needed to get my kids ready to fly the nest. Interesting time. All accomplished. Mission unstoppable. So during the summer, I've also been loosely working on a major project that I will announce in a few weeks that I'm really looking forward to bringing to your attention. But meanwhile, sit back, relax, and prepare to be entertained. Tonight, you are about to go on another Mission Unstoppable. My guest this evening is David Jacobson, a social worker, international spy, and expert on humor and health. Stay tuned. Stay close. This is the Unstoppable Frankie Picasso, and you are listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. If you're listening to the show on Tuesday, September the 21st at 8 p.m., then you have tuned into the live version of the show. I'm now syndicated, and you can hear me again on Thursday, 7 Central, on Toginet Radio. Please feel free to participate in the show. I welcome your comments and questions. You can join us on air by calling 646-595-3741 or join us in the chat room, which is now open, and I see a bunch of folks in there. So hi, welcome to everybody. Thanks for joining us. If you want more information after the show, you can reach me at frankie at missionunstoppable.com. Like I said, tonight I have a wonderful guest. His name is Jacob David Jacobson, he was only 22 years old when he was diagnosed with a severe and painful form of arthritis that fused many of his joints and temporarily put him into a wheelchair. Ten years later, David was miraculously able to ride a unicycle 50 miles in a fundraiser for arthritis. He also received a silver medal in a 150-mile El Tour de Tucson bicycle event. This action garnered David the PBAA Jim Elliott Award. So how did he do it? What happened during those 10 years? Is there anyone who can corroborate his story? He does mention something about aliens and probes, but that could be urban legend. So, David, welcome to Mission Unstoppable. How are you this evening? I'm pretty good. Thanks, thanks, Frankie. Um, and I was going to sing your background music for you, but I didn't know if you know it would get in the way you of know the introduction. <laughs> um, that would have been really and, good. You know, you call me an international spy? I, I thought did. that is yeah that is so cool because it's like I, I knew mean, you wanted it, to be one. Didn't you? Pardon? I said didn't you? Oh, of course, yeah. I, I don't think that was in the book though. You must have just pulled that out of the universe or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, I made it up totally. Okay. <laughs> you told me I was allowed to do that. I Your did. Book, I did. Have habits of highly humorous people told me I was allowed to make things up. <laughs> and then I yeah. So and then I'm the one who has to try to not laugh while you're talking on the phone. So <laughs> well, I, I, I hold. Okay. I hold my voice. <laughs> that's okay. You know, I wanted to say that in your book you have some some claims which I think are, are pretty cool. I'm just trying to, to uh, log back into my show as well so I can talk to all you guys. You said a really profound thing. You said, what I am saying is to take your negative thoughts, your painful problems of living on this planet, and try to twist them around to something silly. Mm-hmm. Why? Why should we do that? Well, you know, it, I noticed that you, you said a, a similar type statement in your book as well about taking negative. Let's see, I'm not, I can't quote you what you said, but it had something to do with taking something negative and changing it to positive. Um, oh, you, the negative chatter, I think you called it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. of course, that that can be important because it's it's so powerful and. and transformational it's actually life-changing because for me it was a life change event to do that to do that very thing and that's why well <laughs> david yeah. you, you wrote you wrote a few books one being the seven and a half habits of highly humorous people and you you were recognized as an international speaker you have a company called humor horizons 
You manage a social work department at a university center in Tucson. You sit on the board of directors for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Mm-hmm. Tell us, how did you get, I mean, we, I started your story. You were 22 years old. You were in a, in a wheelchair. How did you get from the bed, being 110 pounds, to, to riding a unicycle 50 miles? How did you, how did you make that leap? Well, yeah, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight, and um, I I was waiting and waiting for those aliens to come, actually, initially, and just, you know, wave the magic wand and perform the miracle. And then I realized they might not, <laughs> so I'm going to have to do something myself. And it was not an overnight process. It took a long time to get from point A to point B. The wheelchair was a, a short time. I mean, I only needed that for a couple of weeks to get stronger uh, to learn to get on my feet again. But to get from walking to unicycling the 50 miles, that was a long time. And I, I say that it was my sense of humor that, that got it for me. Uh, not to discredit the medications I was on, um, exercise, uh, pool exercise, swimming, and all the other things I needed to do as an adjunct. But it was really my sense of humor that kept me doing it in spite of the pain. Because it was very painful to exercise, so I had to find a way to make it more fun. You know, I have a friend in the chat room. Mary's in our chat room, and Mary is also a social worker who also understands uh, what pain is like because she she also went through uh, post-polio syndrome. She has that now, but she had polio as a child and and really understands uh, pain and humor. And you're both poets. And I and I you know I wanted to if if you'll allow me to read one poem from your book. Because I think it's really poignant and it says everything. For, for those of us who, who do suffer from chronic pain, me being one of them, um, it was, I, I found it extremely uh, poignant. Would Please, it be okay if I yeah. read A Place for Pain? Okay. Thanks. Oh, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. It says, um, it's called A Place for Pain. I open the door, pain walks in, filling my home with darkness and discontent. I open the door, love walks in, replenishing the bedroom. I open the door, faith walks in, illuminating my living room. I open the door, and hope walks in, filling the kitchen with wonderful smells. I open the door, I open the door, and joy walks in. I explain that she has the wrong address. She should be next door. She comes in anyway. Joy, like pain, knows not of manners or proper protocol. I open the door, humor walks in. It fills the empty spaces. Pain is still there but it has little room. I think that says it all. You know, I think that that it's really perfect. You fill your life up with lots of good things, and it takes um, your pain away. It it leaves little room to remember it, to think about it, to to bring it into focus. And people that experience chronic pain like yourself or have any kind of a, a pain that they're dealing with in life, and it doesn't have to just be physical, emotional, or whatever, uh, really relate to that poem because they understand what I'm saying in it. And when I, as a public speaker, my first time trying to read that poem myself, I could barely do it. It, it was very, it's very emotional and close to home for me. So I found it, you know, even with my sense of humor, it was hard to read it um, without getting kind of, you know, tearful myself because it is, it's very personal, but it's also universal that we all experience as humans. It's true. It really is. It's it, When you go to doctors and you have pain, they're always like, what's your pain level at? What's your pain level at? And I used to say, I don't want to tune my pain in. I keep it as white noise in the background, like static from a, a radio that, that you don't want to tune in because if you tune it in, it's too painful. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so let's just keep it back there and fill our, fill our lives up with a whole bunch of other stuff. In your book, you say, humor can change your life for the better. Humor can get you through the most catastrophic events of your life. A highly humorous person is the most resilient person on the planet. And from now on, we are going to call highly humorous people, HHPs, mm-hmm. or HIP, <laughs> HIP, HEPs, whatever we want to call them. Do you have a, do you have a name for them? HHPs, that's it. HHPs, okay. <laughs> so we all want to be HHPs because that's a fun place to be. And I want you to tell us um, how to get there. Well, uh, what I what I think about with with that question, how to get there, is um, 
I think about, well, what's the difference between me and a lot of other people when it comes to using humor or being an HHP, being highly humorous? And what I found was that with humor, I've been able to cope with that pain so much better, and that's made my life better. So I've, I've made it a necessity. It's not a luxury. Um, it's a necessity in life, like eating and sleeping are necessities. For, for me, humor is a necessity. And that's that's how you get there, to give it that much importance in your life. If you do that, your sense of humor can't help but get better. Now, in, in your book, The Seven and a Half Habits of Highly Humorous People, the half habit, the half of the seven half habit, is really, really the most important habit. Because this is the half of the habit where you have a chance to change your thoughts. And if you don't change them all the time, you say if you, even if you change them half the time, it's twice as much as what you had before. And I talk a lot on this show and on other shows when I'm being interviewed about changing your thoughts. Listen to, listening to your thoughts, choosing to change the thought in the moment. Is that what, That's what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. Because <laughs> your that, thoughts are more zany than my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, changing those thoughts, I mean, that's – I say half-habit like that because um, – when when you when you are actually able to do that, you're, it it does more for you than you can imagine because it is built. It's your self confidence, it's your self esteem, it's everything that are tied to these thoughts that when they're negative and thinking, oh, you're worthless, you're useless, useless, and you can change that to, no, I'm not, I'm great. <laughs> when you can do that, you've just changed your whole viewpoint on life, and and that will make you a healthier person. It'll help you with your own healing and. It will help you focus on it and be more aware of those negative thoughts. You have to catch yourself. And, and you know, we're all guilty of that. There's not a day that I don't have negative thoughts that, that I need sure. to be more aware and change. It's just that I'm trying to be more conscious of them. And that half habit is how I do it. That's perfect. When you, you, you already gave us habit number one, treat humor as a necessity, not a luxury. And habit number two is use self-effacing humor. Now, you, you, you tell us to do that when we don't know the person that we're going to be meeting. We don't know. We can't start cutting them up or making, or making jokes about them. We don't know what they find funny. So we can, we can diffuse that by making jokes about ourselves. Is that what you're talking about? That's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, with myself, I'm physically, when I put my hand out, you can see that I've got fingers that are twisted and warped. And so when I go to shake somebody's hand, it's obvious. Or when I wave, it's obvious. Now, what I want to do with the self-effacing humor is have the other person more comfortable to know, hey, I don't have a problem with this. That's just what my hand looks like. And if I can do that in a joking way, and I'm not meaning giving a negative sign that people can use their fingers to do. Um, right. I, that happens to be the finger that is twisted. So, oh, no. <laughs> not, not that I wave it at people, but that actually happened once where I waved. It's a long story, but they got it wrong. Anyway, the point oh. is is that um, if I can joke about my hand and, and that it's not a big deal to me, the other person will be more at ease and they're going to think, oh, okay, I don't have to think, oh, you poor pathetic thing or whatever might be in their mind. Or try not I to look at his hands. Try not to look right. at his hands. Don't right. look at the hand. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So, so what what might you say about your your twisted fingers? Twisted um, fingers. I, I can twist and shout. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. There I mean, you go. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. It's um, it just depends on the situation. But I uh, I, it's great for my handicapped parking because then I just show my hand and I say, see, I really do have this disability or something, and that. Will quiet people down from. Oh, the, you're so lucky because you know I get people running after me. Miss, miss, you can't park yeah. there. <laughs> See, that's the difference between visible and invisible disabilities, and there's so many invisible disabilities out there so that you really need to have a sense of humor because when someone's berating you for doing something that you need to do, uh, you really have to use your humor to, to overcome that. Humor is different for everybody. And, and in your habit number three, you say keep your eyes open for humorous situations or create them with your imagination. Now, you do have a wild imagination. Thanks. Can we, you know, take a dive into that, into that pool there and see what's going on? Sure. I mean, it starts with reality, though. I mean, when I think of that habit, the first thing that comes to mind about keeping your eyes open to humorous situations is literally just looking around. There, 
There's one story, I don't even know if I have that in the book, but I was on a I was in Jerusalem and I was on a city bus and I outside the window uh there was this Palestinian mom and her three kids. She had like this six year old, uh eight year old and a ten year old. And she's giving them each some chocolate. So I look at I'm looking out and this five or six year old looks up at his older brother uh, he eats his chocolate and then he grabs his brother's bar and shoves it in his mouth and stuffs his face with it to the other brother jumping up and down in shock and the third brother falling on the ground cracking up laughing. And it was just one of those funny moments where I could have easily missed it, but I had my eyes open looking for things like that. Just as a reminder that, you know, we all have so much more in common than we do differences. And if we saw that universal sameness that, that we have, there there'd be a lot less conflict. And I know you were talking more about the fantasy part. The other thing I do or I say sometimes is um, when I'm in an angry situation or a conflict, if if someone's sh- shouting or yelling, I think in my head, like, hmm, what would they look like with, with cheese whiz pouring out of their ears? You know, or what if, you know, what would Albert Scott do in this situation? Ooh, you know, or whatever this little thing is that's going to get me out of my angry state and back into my cheerful self. Okay, now you have a wonderful story. First, I'm going to say in your book you say that both love and humor and communication can diffuse anger and resolve conflict. I totally agree with that. Love that. But you have a, a situation in the book you talk about you were going to speak at a church. Can you tell us that story? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I was um, on my way. It was a kind of a rainy day, and, and it, I had to go way across town, and I was running late. So I'm, you know, driving down the road, and you know when you're in a rush and you're in a hurry, you want to get there. And yeah. this, this guy cut me off, and we've all been cut off in traffic where someone, like, squeezes right in front of your front bumper and almost hits you. And that's what happened. This guy just cut me off, and I was so mad. And I wanted you to cut... Your finger was up. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I, I wanted I wanted to catch up to this guy at the light because the, the yeah. other lane opened up and I can get right next to him so I could turn and give him the look, you know that yeah. look. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted, I I was mad, and then I had to stop and think. Let's see, where am I going and what am I going to speak about? And so where were hmm, you going and what were you speaking about? I was going to a <laughs> church to speak about humor and spirituality. <laughs> oh, okay. Good one. So if I'm going to do that, you know, giving someone the look or a sign is not the best in line with what I'm going to talk about. So I had to come up with something else. So while he he got up to the light first and I caught up to him, I put my handicapped placard on the mirror and I pulled my arms out of my shirt sleeves and hid them and so that you couldn't see I had arms. And then I grabbed the steering wheel with my teeth <laughs> oh my and bit my steering wheel and kind of glanced over and nodded at him to this horrified look. He felt so bad for what he did to poor me. And, uh, did he let you in? <laughs> yes, he was not mad anymore, and I wasn't mad anymore. And it was just a silly thing I did. It's... Um, I call them humorous fantasies. You said about my imagination. We all have imagination, and we can all come up with these humorous fantasies that just change the way we think. So that's what I did, and it and it really seemed to work. Not that I recommend doing that, but it worked. Now you're the father of four kids. Yeah, yeah. Do you stay? Do you stay in? In? Did you ever grow up? Do you think? Or did I ever grow up? Do you, um, are your kids more mature than you? Do you find, or are they just zany, crazy kids? My wife would tell you I, I never grew up, and uh, the kids have great senses of humor. They they do, just like uh, my parents had a great sense of humor, both of them. And um, uh, I yeah, they all have. They're all very, very funny kids. I gotta say, they they really uh, it comes naturally to all of them. And I would have Okay. Hello, area code five one nine. You're on air. Hi, who is this? <laughs> Hi, Frankie. It's your friend Jim Pritchard, and I apologize. I wanted to listen, and I hit the Oh, okay. Button. No worries. <laughs> say, say, hi, say hi to David. David, how are you? Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm also an author. I wrote the book called Warrior Mind, which is published by the American Management Association. Ah, fellow okay, that's, author. That, 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 that's the only blip you get, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> okay. No, shut up. <laughs> okay. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Lots of authors on the show tonight. Yeah. 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 Some good people's in here. Wonderful. Wonderful to hear Jim's voice. It's been a long time since I've talked to him, so hopefully he'll give me a shout soon. So I've, so I've got a question, Frankie. Uh, yeah. How long How long did it really take you to read my book? Oh, <laughs> um, let me think. I started this morning and I fell asleep a little bit, so probably two hours. Wow, really? You are a fast reader. I read a lot. I read like five or six books a week, and I read a lot. And I That's do read just amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I I did take speed reading in college, mm-hmm. but um, I do read a lot. So I'm I'm used to reading, I guess. And and you get into, I knew that once you told me, you know, it's not that big a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, you know, you want to read everything because you took the time to write it. So I had to read it all. Well. But, I, it, you know, David's book came a bit late. David's book came last night. <laughs> That's and right. And we were kind of, you know, wondering, are we going to be able to do the show, not do the show? Because I like to, as you guys know, I like to read the book. That's kind of the defining the defining piece about Frankie. She reads the books. So um, it did arrive, and, and I thought, well, I'll read it this morning because I get up kind of early. And uh, that's what I did. And it's a wonderful book. You can get it on Amazon.com, Seven and a Half Habits of Highly Humorous People. Lots of fun, lots of great advice in the book. And you can also, um, can can we get it from your website? Yes, you can. Yeah, if you go to humorhorizons.com, there's uh, my contact information. And I have copies myself I send out to people. So it's easy to contact me through humorhorizons.com. Now, I wanted to ask you before, I I know it's somewhere in the book and I I didn't pick it out specifically, um, but something just hit me just Hit me right in a second, so I'm going to talk about it. You did something with North Korea about humor? South Korea, actually. It was uh, the Korean broadcasting system. Yeah, they were doing an international uh, show on relieving stress. And so they went all over the world. It was really amazing. It's the first time I heard about laughter yoga from Dr. Katarin. Oh, yeah. Kataria in... um, in India was on the same show, and uh, oh, okay. so that's. I mean, I, I discovered so many things on this. It was really interesting. But they they just kind of picked through some people in the U.S. and in India and in England and Europe, uh, Africa. They went all over the world and um, talked about how different people relieve stress. And so one of the subjects or sub subjects was humor and stress. And so they they came and and we did this thing on on one American perspective on humor, because as we know, there's so many different views and takes on this, but uh, it was really fun. Yeah, That made me remember a movie I saw. Um, Oh, geez, I I wish I could remember the guy's name. He started it. He's a a famous comedian, and he did a movie, and he went to India, and he was asked to go to India and, and find out about what makes people laugh around the world. Wow. Oh, I'd love to see that. Because, yeah. yeah, because, you know, you would know him as soon as his, – hopefully his name will come to me before the show is over. And if it doesn't, then I'll, I'll get it to you after. But it was very interesting because, you know, he did his routine in India and nobody laughed. He's like, oh, okay, that's a real bomb. Okay, what, what? So what makes these people laugh? So he ran around the countryside and he's going, what's funny to you? You know, what makes you laugh? And and you have that kind of in your book, too, that there's different kinds of humor. Like, slapstick humor doesn't do it for me. It, for me, it's like a real turnoff. I like sophisticated, um, just just everyday, finding the funny in the everyday stuff. Like Stephen Wright. You have some Stephen Wright on your Oh, I, yeah. Stephen yeah, Wright's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, you know? he is. I mean, his, his delivery, but it's, he, he just states the obvious. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just obvious, it's, and, yet, and yet the way he does it, it's so funny. It is. It's very good. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. And it is that, that wit and um, witticisms that, that he comes out with. And a lot of it is very thought-provoking. And that's what I like, too, is that sometimes you got to think about it to get it. And so it takes a little effort to actually do that. So people that, for, that appreciate that type of humor usually have the type of intellect where they, they, they get it, you know, that kind of yeah. wit. Yeah. You know. So if you guys are listening, let me know what kind of humor you like. Um, what, 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 there are different kinds of humor. What kind of humors are there? There's, uh, like we mentioned, slapstick, and and we mentioned um, what other kind of humor is there? There's, yeah, there's, there's so many different types. There's, um, well, there's political humor, there's satire, there's, uh, of course, hostile humor, and I do talk about that a little in the book about appropriate versus inappropriate humor, because mm-hmm. uh, there is healing humor and there's humor that can be harmful too. So. Yeah. 
there is that difference, but um, there's, of uh, course, sexual humor, and there's, again, things that are appropriate and inappropriate, but appropriate amongst your friends, not so appropriate with people you don't know. <laughs> so there's, there's different rules on, on using those different types of humor, too. Yeah, uh, there, there, and some people like the nonsense humor. You know, an example of the nonsense humor I like is, uh, what does a 300-pound canary say? <laughs> you know, so I, I like some of the nonsense, and, and it's just silly stuff, but there's just so many different types that people, the best way to know what type of humor you love is just think about the comedians you like. Who's your favorite yeah. comedian? Do they do they do improv? Do they do the slapstick? Do they do that cerebral thought? Cerebral thought, um, and that's the type of humor people should focus on is the ones that they're thinking that their favorite comedians do, and then they they'll be able to actually look at the world a little more like, well, what if I was Steve Wright or what if I was Robin Williams or try to look at the world the way they would. Well, some of the things that you say, you know, to, to bring the fun into your life, to bring the laughter back into your life, is, is like, you write fake memos. Those are mm-hmm. hilarious. <laughs> you know, you send out these fake memos to your friends and, and um, around the hospital. And, and do they know, you know, for, how long does it take before people realize, oh, this is, this, is, <laughs> this is David being silly again? Yeah, they know. They know. They Those know. that know me know. In fact, my last email to you, I don't know if you caught it because I, I don't usually say it, but um, my con- did you see my confidentiality statement? I did, and I sent it oh, on to my you, <laughs> You'd caught that, huh? Or did I, I, I don't caught know it, and I sent it on. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was very funny. Yeah. Have, I mean, have it available? Do you want to read it? Yeah, I, I actually, I could pull that up. But these are the things that are those subtle things that 90% of my people that see my confidentiality notice, they never see it. It's very few that actually read those notices. So here it is. It says, email confidentiality notice. This email correspondence and any attachments may contain confidential and privileged information intended only for the use of the designated recipient or recipients not listed above. In accordance with old TV shows like Mission Impossible, under other circumstances, this message would have self-destructed when received by an unintended email addressee. However, due to current economic conditions, we are unable to provide this service at this time. If you are not the addressee or question your own self-identity, you are hereby notified that you are not authorized to even read this confidentiality notice. Please poke your own eyes out immediately. Also, read, reading this could... Uh, result in bad things happening to you if you don't forward it to 10 people immediately. This, of course, is an inherent contradiction, which, if solved, could lead to further enlightenment. And this is according to in strict compliance with Article 8, Section 5.7, Code 02 of the Enlightenment Code of the New Old Age Secret Society of Confidentiality Notice Writers. And please enjoy the rest of your day and disregard this notice. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Thanks. It's kind of a long notice, but still, it's in tiny print, and people don't bother to look at those type of things usually. That's true. That's true. But one of the things, one of the other things that you say um, you can do is go out and and speak with a foreign accent. Mm -hmm. Now, my daughter and I do that all the time. She loves to (laughs) she loves to speak gibberish. She's very very good at it. She'll just start off with some kind of gibberish. Or she wants to talk in a British accent, which we often do together. Right. And you know, we have lots of fun. It's, it's, you know, we're a French accent or, or something. And, and it is, it's a good time. And, and we, you know, we get closer for it. And hey, it's fun. It is, and it's great. And, and it's, especially <laughs> at places like, you know, when you're out at dinner at a restaurant or something, where everyone at the table knows your voice and what you talk like, and you change it. And the waiter doesn't have a clue kind of what's going on, but it's kind of an inside joke that is really funny, can really be funny if you, you carry it through. Yeah. And you're not hurting anybody. No, <laughs> no, that doesn't hurt anyone. Yeah. Um, the, you see those signs that people that people send? Um, lots of times you'll, you'll get these emails that, that have church signs and different signs that people have just, just caught as they drive by. Like, mm-hmm. Little, they weren't meant to be funny, but they are. Yes, <laughs> yeah, the church bulletin. I love those. I just love those. Those are great. Yeah, yeah, I love those too, and I've collected a lot of those over time. Um, I, I, you know, one of my favorites 
they have ones like uh, uh, what's it, what did it say? Don't don't let life kill you. Let the church help. You know, and it's just when you think about what they're really saying, it's funny if you, if you read it the wrong way. Um, you know, there's several of those. Um, the women of the church have cast off clothing of all kind, and they can be seen in the church basement on Friday. You know, and it's the way they write it, and you know someone got fired or got in trouble for putting the notice up wrong. But there's some real funny ones. Oh, this is great. Mary's going to call in, and she's going to share one of the stories for a character that, that she developed when uh, when her husband, I guess, was taking her for a trigger injection. Okay. Because so Mary Mary had to go for these painful injections, and, and she actually um, ran the Boston Marathon, which is just so wow. great for her. Yeah. A, another a fellow poet and, and, and uh, social worker. That's neat. She's, yeah, she's going to call. She's great. You talk about, while we're waiting for her to do that, you talk about psychoneurospiritualimmunology. That's a mm-hmm. big word, hard to say. Um, and, and it's about the link between our immune system and our emotional experience. And I find that really fascinating as a healer and as somebody, you know, who you sit on the board of director for um, Association for Applied Therapeutic Humor. This is, yeah, they, they um, have a great conference every April, too. I mean, people really should check that out. It's AATH.com. Wonderful organization. When I interviewed um, uh, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Lipton, he mm-hmm. talked about imaginal cells. He talked about using our imagination to create the body that we wanted, to get rid of the, the disease, to, to change our cells, to make them what we wanted. And this is exactly what that is. Absolutely. I mean, our muscles have a memory, the way we think. We have our own pharmacology in our brain. Um, For several years, I was able to just use a placebo instead of real arthritis medication because I convinced myself that this was the chemotherapy I was on. And I did that for several years, and then it just stopped working. (laughs) But it's amazing that it even worked for the time that it worked. I mean, I do talk a lot about sense of humor and and all that, but I'm on strong medication. Right now I'm on a medication. It's a Remicade infusion. It takes three hours, and it's once every eight weeks and knocks out my immune system. But it's what I'm using right now as part of my therapy. So I'm not saying that I can do everything just with humor, of course, we have our limitations too, but my body's in excellent shape. I can work out very strongly, and, and part of that's medication, and part of it's my sense of humor and the, the attitude about doing it. Good for you. Wow, good for Thanks. you. You're courageous. Mary, good evening. Hello. Hi, Frankie. Hi, David. Hi, How are Hi you? Mary. It's social worker, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, social worker that had to leave social work. Um, because mm-hmm. of post-polio syndrome, but it was, it's wonderful because a whole new world opened up. Um, and I, my um, visualization came through poetry, and that's how I started imagining having the body that I wanted to have. And while I was in a leg brace, um, I wrote this poem that talked about, in my mind's eye, I see myself winning a 10K race. And then two years later, I ran the Boston Marathon. So it's... It's pretty amazing. It really is. Um, But my husband took me for, um, I have cervical spine disease, Mm -hmm. and I had to go for a trigger injection last year, and Mm. those are not fun for, Mm. did you ever do trigger injections? No, I'm a medical social worker, though. I work in a hospital, and I know what that is. (laughs) Frankie, did you go for injections, trigger injections? Um, No, I declined. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not going for another one. Um, but anyway, I had so, one. I had one in my hip joint, and it was awful. Yeah, um, I had one. I kind of two, but I didn't like it. <laughs> well, Mary, with the poetry, I mean, that is an art. I mean, I think humor is a form of art. Poetry is a form of art. Of course, painting, all these different po- forms of art, um, have amazing power and transformational and power. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah, and and are all, of course, very therapeutic as well. So and, yeah, it's, it's amazing that and you've Mary done that. And Mary started a greeting card company, and she uses her poems to to write um, personalized greetings for for folks. So that's kind of cool. So tell us a story, Mary, about, okay. about when you're well, with you. 
Um, what happened was we were we couldn't find a parking place. And usually I'm always wonderful at manifesting parking places, but on this particular day there was there was no parking places and it, it said that um parking for drop off only and so my husband said, I am drop off, I am Andrew drop off and he went into this whole <laughs> Russian accent. Oh and my god. It was it it was incredible, you know. It just because I was so stressed, are we going to be late, and you know all of that. And he just went into this, and we still have this character now. And he's like this superhero, and he can do anything, and it's just great. If you know, if we're feeling stressed about anything, oh well, Adio. He even has a nickname, which I think is hysterical too. Um, Adio will take care of it, and when we run, um, he, you know, will say, um, oh how is ADO doing? Oh, he already ran 25 miles. And um, so we we used him during our marathon training. And it, it, it's just, it's incredible. It really is. And then um, with my daughter, I have different characters that we use and, and um, that we call upon. And it's, it's great fun. It really is. And it's, it's a great way to release tension and to not take life too seriously, you know? Mary, how old's your daughter? 23. Wow, my daughter's twenty four. They're about the same same age. Wow. Yeah, she Yeah, is. we all got kids the same age. <laughs> <laughs> we must be old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't that's tell anybody. Right. <laughs> Kate, Mary, that story, Mary. Oh, yeah. thank you, Frankie. And David, we'll be in touch. Okay, okay. All right. Thank you, Frankie. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. You know, these are the people, people like Mary who, who, and yourself who have gone through catastrophes, who, who, you know, are living with so much pain and yet understand the benefit of humor and how to get through life being a little silly and having fun. And there really isn't anything greater than, than laughing. So one of the other habits of highly humorous people, the HHPs. Well, I, <laughs> we were talking about Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just backtracking this. So it's half habit, habit one, two, three. The fourth habit is uh, using the power of humor and its positive influence on yourself and others. And that one, of course, is talking a lot about how not only will humor make your life better, but the more you spread it and use it with other people, uh, the more you're going to help other people, which in turn helps yourself as well. So... That would be the fourth habit because, you know, there's a very close connection between your sense of humor and your overall sense of being. I, it, for me, they're, they're so intermixed you can't separate one f from being a humor being and well-being, you know, can be the same thing. So using your humor and its positive influence for yourself and for other people um, is what what my... I would call my life purpose. I think we can all inspire people with, through the use of our humor. And if one person can change for the better because of a sense of humor, then I think that's incredible. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I'm I mean, typing in the chat room here. I'm trying to be multitasking. <laughs> I mean, when, when you think about how people react with others and influence others, when when someone says, well, you know, how do you get along with other people? Well, the answer shouldn't be, well, fine, as long as they stay out of my face, you know. <laughs> I mean, a better answer than it would be, well, I use if I, I use my sense of humor as much as possible with my interactions with other people. That's the way you do it. That's how people get along with each other. We have another caller. Let's see. It's not you. <laughs> oh, they just went away. Oh, if you, if you were calling Area 520 and not uh, David, call back. And we'd love no, no, that's me. Oh, they called. Yeah. Yeah, another gonna... line, another line. I know that you were five two zero, but okay, somebody so... else from Tucson called. Woo, call back. <laughs> Someone that probably knows me then. Yeah, maybe, or they know Could me because I know people there too. Yeah. It's a nice, <laughs> yeah. Nice well, you think you're the only person in Tucson? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you you get a big ego know, and it I goes can... to your head. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Not really. I'm I'm not like that. I know. Well, you know, I I use humor a lot um, in my relationship. 
Mm-hmm. When if he's listening, Danny's listening. I know he's listening, but sometimes you know he gets a little grumpy, and and when he's grumpy, I just kind of look and I start laughing, and then you got to laugh. He's got to laugh because I'm laughing, and and it just diffuses it, and that's it. Like we don't we don't argue, we don't get mad, we just laugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when there's of course with any close couple, you 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 you're going to have conflict. So um, if you can try to see the humor in situation, humor in the situation, that that goes a long way to helping the relationship. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's more fun to laugh than, than to, to yell at each other. You coined a term, and I don't even know how I'm to pronounce it. Is it humorgy? Humorgy, yeah. Humorgy, okay. Humorgy, yeah. What is humorgy? Uh, uh, humorgy is, um, it's kind of what you said when you said psychoneurospiritual immunology. It's taking okay. the whole sense of yourself your your you know your your spiritual self your physical self your emotional self your mental self um your fish self as i call it or your selfish part and putting them all together and when you can do that the, the your sense of humor is a force and it's a life force like other forces we talk about you know the spirit of dance the spirit of alcohol there's a spirit of humor and when i talk about humor g i'm talking about the spirit of humor kind of like they do in star wars with well the there's the force well there's the humor force as well and people that can master their humor force are highly humorous people they're people that live their life with a philosophy based on humor g on using their humor as a part of their natural self and I just wrote in the chat room about co-humorcation. Mm-hmm. Using Is that when you hum- get other people involved? <laughs> yes, that's what, where this conversation is. Yeah. <laughs> it's using humor in communication, I mean, because it makes it so much easier. And good teachers know this, and any any kind of teacher, any good communicator, anyone in a good, who knows how to have good relationships or good people skills knows that, that humor and communication should should be synonymous should should always go together of course well, we like, like, you can't say like, always we all have horrible times too but 90% yeah. of the time i'd say that's true but you're a speaker you're a public speaker and and a lot of folks listening are public speakers and and when somebody goes to an audience and they lead with a joke or they lead with something that's going to make them laugh it diffuses you know the audience in in that they're they're more receptive to listening to what you want to say they like you so they're they're on your side. They want to make sure that you're not going to fail. Don't you find yeah, that? I absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of tension and stress, and humor is great to diffuse that tension and to put people at ease. And whether it's a group of people or whether it's a a small meeting that's very uncomfortable and tense, uh, if you can be the one person in the room to break that tension with a a funny comment, then everyone will appreciate it. And I'm not talking about being any stand-up comedian or professional. You know, we find more things funny in life and everyday observations and little toddlers walking and stumbling than we do uh, trying to do any kind of stand-up routine. It's just a natural observation of humorous things that happen in everyday situations. Well, you you belong to this organization, um, and you're on the board of directors of of the uh, American Association of Therapeutic Humor. Yeah. Right. So this, they've done studies on 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 humor and immunology and and health. Have they? Have yeah, they, they they really. There's a lot of this website has a lot of the research, and they're actually going to be adding a whole library of research. We have a a humor academy that actually goes into all the research on applied therapeutic humor, and that that is what we're all about. And it's amazing the amount of research that's out there now. It used to be that there wasn't much, but in the last 20 years, it's been phenomenal. And Dr. Lee Burke and William Fry and these serious scientists and physicians that spend their and devote their life to researching humor and finding what we've all, all always known, that humor is good for you, and finding that physiologically there's a basis for it. It's amazing. It really is. It's funny. Mary, Mary here just asked me if I laugh when someone falls down. And I don't laugh if I see a stranger fall down, but I would laugh if it was somebody I know. Now, I worked with a girl who 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 lived in Toronto, and her family lived back in Vancouver, 2,000 miles away. And if somebody fell down, myself, 
<laughs> she had to call home and tell them because they would all laugh. <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. I tripped on the street, and she's like laughing hysterically. And she goes, oh, i got to call home. i got to call home. I go, what do you mean you got to call home? <laughs> says, oh, I have to tell them that you fell down. <laughs> I'm like, they don't even know me. They you don't know, even what? know me, but they were going to laugh because she was going to call home and tell them that I fell down, which is kind of really funny. I couldn't stop laughing. What am, <laughs> what am I? One of my great friendships started just with a stupid joke like that. Now, um, when when someone's truly in pain and get hurt, of course people don't laugh. But if it is something silly, uh, the the friend I'm talking about, he's he's had uh, he's had arthritis since he was a child. And uh, when I first met him, I came. I w- it was some arthritis event, and I said to him, "How did the guy with arthritis get on the floor?" And he said, "How?" I said, "Somebody pushed him." And he cracked up, and it was kind of an inside joke that yeah. we thought was funny. But other people might not think that's funny. So, I mean, there is dark humor, morose humor. But, when you, again, it's self-effacing humor. When you're, you're poking fun at your own situation, um, that's the type of humor it is. And the, the, we, we used to sit together and do arthritis jokes. Like, we'd come up with, um, okay, a guy with arthritis walks into a bar, and the bartender says, Sorry, we don't serve people with arthritis here. And the guy says, well, I'll just have to get a replacement for this joint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so not, you know, it's not going to get me on the, you know, on HBO special, but it's funny stuff that we use between ourselves, and that's true for everyone. We can all come up with these corny, silly little things that just make, make the mood a little lighter, and it doesn't have to be any kind of brilliant comedy. It's got to be true life enjoyment uh and po- and seeing the funny side of your situation. Yeah. Well, you know, talk about morose humor. Uh, you, you worked in emergency management um uh, and you know, I was an emergency response volunteer. And and when you see things, you know, the fire department, the they the police department, they talk about crispy critters, people who are burned, they talk, you mm-hmm. know, it, it is morose, it's not funny, but you they need to laugh to get that stress out. They have Absolutely. to come up with yeah, if they don't have that detachment, how can they? I mean, how can they? How can you help people if you're yeah. so engrossed in the situation and so emotionally connected? You're not going to have the objectivity to save somebody's life, and it's that crucial in those situations. So of course they need their outlet, and and there's a lot of you know dark humor that law enforcement, emergency rooms, and people use, and it, and it's very helpful for them. Yeah. It's not it's not nice if you're listening in and don't get it, but it is funny if you're part of the group. We have a caller. Let's see. Area five two zero. You're Hi. on air. Hi. Hi. Who's this? I uh I just had a question. if you uh if you're somebody who's gone through a very traumatic event or gone through serious trauma in your life and you sort of lost the ability to look at things uh, you know, from from a sense of humor or from a humor angle, how how would you go about getting that back or helping somebody get that back if, if they've almost lost the ability to connect to, you know, that humor energy that you're talking about? It's an excellent question. Yeah. I think there is a matter of taking time, and I think sometimes there's only only time can work to a certain point. When I first got, when I was in critical condition, when I had rheumatic fever and then I was diagnosed with the arthritis, I wasn't laughing a lot. And it took me a while to go through a time period where I was ready to do it. Um, and a lot of people, time is, is not something you can measure. For some people, what takes a few days, for another person can take a couple years. There's no way to say how long anyone comes through their own thing. The sooner you can be aware that you, it'll help you, the better. But it's not easy. And um, it's not a, it's a very complex question, and there's not a simple answer to it. I think it well, really... You know, sometimes, sometimes- don't you think sometimes people want to stay in their victim energy? It's 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 um, helpful for them to stay there, and and so to lighten up might take away from that. I mean, these are little things that you need to to you know just think about. I'm not saying anything, but funny movies, movies that they used to laugh at, or mm-hmm. find things that they that they love. You can put movies on. Um, I found you know for for me that that was um, great. When I did the laughter yoga, I'm a I'm a certified laughter yoga leader, mm-hmm. and. Um, in laughter yoga, we just laugh. We laugh. We pretend laugh. We just mm-hmm. pretend to laugh. And that pretend laugh turns into a deep belly laugh. And once everybody's starting and you hear these hysterical people laughing, you just laugh even harder. So it can just start with a pretend laugh. And it's amazing how that works. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's a certain percentage of people that that would be true for where they have to go through something and then they're they're getting something out of it. You know, well, what am I getting out of this? It's like, well, I have my handicap card so I can park in handicap spaces. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's always a, a positive, and even with my arthritis, I had some amazing gifts from it. it. Took me a long time to figure that out, and I wasn't ready to at first. But yeah, it's it's what I think Frankie and I we both agree that it's the act as if that if you yeah. can act as if this was funny and you're enjoying act as if you can enjoy life again, act as if it's possible to have a quality of life, then you can. And you know, like Mary, Mary wrote also that. Um, it's important to connect with others who do have a sense of humor, and membership has its privileges, and it surely does. So is there somebody in your life that, that's like that right now? Caller? You didn't give me your name. Sorry. Area 520. We were just talking about somebody Hello? in your life. Hello? Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was gone. I was away from the phone for a second. Uh, okay. Well, is there somebody in your life right now that you're having um, having problems to depress, no. to laugh? No, it was oh. just something I was wondering because, yeah, just you know, for uh, for people around you in your life, it, you know, as you go through life and run into situations like that, and, and it's good to kind of, I think, you know, help somebody cope maybe by uh, by helping them be able to to start to, to laugh at things again and not feel so depressed and so serious about. Uh, I agree, you know, and when, when they can look at other things that are going to be positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when they're in the hospital, like you don't have to be all hush hush, you know, laugh at stuff, laugh at their tubes and things, like. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's funny. Yeah, you don't have to tiptoe. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to be sensitive, but I think you can start. Thanks for calling. That was a great, great question. Thank okay. you. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. That was a really great question because how how do you bring somebody um, back to wanting to live life with fun? Yeah, again? and um, and what, you know, it's it's so often the case that. It's got to be an internal thing. I mean, I didn't start getting better. I, Frankie, I don't know about you, but no one else made me do this. I had to want to do it. And mm-hmm. um, what's I don't know what your take is on that, if you agree with that or not. I mean, there's other well, people I, that I could influence kind of, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I always kind of laughed at things, I think. Um, I was depressed, but... But, you know, I could laugh at things, too. There was a lady, I, I loved her. She was um, in the in the bed next to me. It was probably the first month, first couple of weeks. I, I was in the hospital five and a half months. First week or so I was there, and she was about um, 100 years old. Wow. And she, and she said to me, she goes, um, what do you think ever happened to the horses that hmm. that used to bring the milk around? Hmm. And I looked, I said, I think they're <laughs> dead or they're glue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they live that long. Yeah. But, you know, it was a funny question. I mean, it caught me kind of funny. What do you even think happened to those horses? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, again, you were doing that habit four of looking for the humor. Actually, you heard the humor in the situation and responded humorously. (laughs) So that is, that's absolutely. the attitude that we're talking about here that people have to adopt if they don't have it. And Mary brought up Bernie Siegel, um, talks about using humor while you're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great. You know, it's really horrible to have to stay um, in victim, and, and there are so many reasons to want to mm-hmm. that um, that you have to find help people find the reason, you know, to not to. Habit number six, we talked about humorize with humor, with humor G. Mm-hmm. And habit seven, act like the highly humorous person you become or are becoming. Yes, I mean, acting is not pretending. It's actually practicing. (laughs) So whenever we act as if we can be humorous or have a a higher sense of humor, we're practicing it and we're getting better at it. Because it is scary and a lot of people are afraid to do take risks. And it is a risk, but and if you make a mistake with it, if you're sincere and you apologize that you did something wrong, you're only going to learn and you're only going to get better. And, so, and I love that because I talk about t- doing that. When you take your responsibility for your actions, you take back your power. So try things and just, you know, say, yeah, okay, I tried it. It didn't work. Or, you know, maybe it was an inappropriate moment. Um, mm-hmm. It's all a learning curve. It is. And, and if you have that attitude, um, 
you're going to reinforce and strengthen all the other habits if you're coming from that mindset of, I'm going to act as if I can be in tune with my sense of humor better and to utilize it better. You know, Mary's name in, in our chat room here is Mary Sunshine, and you cannot help but smile when you read her name. It just <laughs> makes you feel good all over. Yeah, And here's another, Kissed by Pixies. You've got a great name, too. Kissed by Pixies. How amazing is that name? <laughs> good for you. I love it. Absolutely great. You've got um, this book, Seven and a Half Habits of Highly Humorous People. Your T-shirt says Arthritic Man mm-hmm. on the front of it. <laughs> you know? That's actually the T-shirt I wore for the unicycle ride. Yeah. Oh, is it? Great. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> I Not politically correct, I guess, but still, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's kind of like... I was my... going to ask you something that was really unpolitically correct mm-hmm. or politically incorrect. After riding that 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 ride that fifty miles on a unicycle, how was your um, how was your sack of pride? How was my pride? <laughs> your sack of pride. Oh oh oh! I was in bed for two weeks, and um, <laughs> I was I thought joints got swollen. <laughs> That's all I can Sorry, say. I had asked, I had anyway, and there's also a uh, song. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis wrote it. I can't think of the name of it. Goodness gracious, but that's what it was like. Great balls of fire. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Invented. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's funny. So you end up having some uh, melons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, because that looked like to me like it would hurt. There's nothing to lean on. There's nothing to... No, I, I actually cushioned it. I had some, like, mattress foam that I cut and put on top of the seat, but that only went so far. Yeah, it was kind of... Uh, I I don't plan ever do that again. <laughs> but uh but I'm I'm glad I did it. Yeah. So what what's next for you David, father of four, loving husband? What's up? What's next for you? Well, I I'm actually re- rewriting the book or re- revising the book. Um there were some things in the book that I now with the feedback I've got from a lot of a lot of people that have uh read the book that I've appreciated their feedback on there were a few things in there that some people found offensive that I didn't think was offensive but now that I think about it I can see their point of view so I want to modify those and actually explain that in the next book What was and, what was offensive? Can you tell me? Do you remember one of those? Well, for example, um even the the beginning in the table in the why you shouldn't or what to do with this book if you don't like it I had you mean, this like, thing in the front. On it and stuff? Right, no, the very uh, couple first pages in the book, I had this appendix that yeah, said, if, if you don't like this book, you said right. you could color on it or throw it out or give it to somebody. Or That's right. So one one of the things I wrote was, um, if if you don't like it, you can, um, how did I put it? Oh, okay. There's only nine reasons. I don't see it here. Anyway, but it's about yeah. You said use oh, fireplace, like, emergency toilet paper, make paper airplanes out of the. That's pages, right. That's right. Yeah. Hide your drugs in it. Oh, that might have been it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that might have been. Oh no, 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 no. That was it. It's in the preface. In the preface, it said, uh, yeah, "Give it to a gift to someone you don't like with a note that reads, you know, you really need this. Give it to a kid to crayon in. Better yet, crayon all over it. Then walk into your kid's room, mad as hell, and say, who crayoned in this book?'" And they thought, that's so mean. Why would you do that to a child? Oh, my God. But I, they didn't get it. I, you know, I would never do that to a child. No, of course, course you not. would never do that. So I, it was taken the wrong way. So, I mean, that's just an example of anything can be miscommunicated. And even if it's coming with good intent, gee, that you know can come off as cruel if, if it's misunderstood. Here's a little story for you. I was on an airplane. And um, it was a very bumpy ride. Coming back from San Diego to Toronto, very, very bumpy ride. I was with my daughter. And I'm walking to the back of the plane. I was going to use the washroom. And my hand just caught on the top of somebody's feet. Mm-hmm. And this woman, she was, this woman was, she glared at me. Like, mm-hmm. how dare you touch my feet? And And her companion was, Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, but she was mm-hmm. like glaring at me. Now it was really kind of funny because you, you, everybody's heard um, Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. Mm-hmm. She was reading The Power of Nice. 
Wow. <laughs> that's ironic, isn't it? Isn't that great? I loved that it. I thought, great. oh, my yeah. gosh, that's too funny. I, I like some of David Sedaris's books, and he and he had an airplane story that I thought was really funny. It was just hilarious. Well, you're going to have to tell us another time because we're okay. out of time. Let us know your website again, please. That's humorhorizons.com, so it's H-U-M-O-R-H-O-R-I-Z-O-N-S.com. And David's available for your lectures, for wedding permits, so it's anything that you need a funny speaker at. And again, his book is Seven and a Half Habits of Highly Humorous People. David Jacobson, thank you so much for being my guest this evening. It was wonderful hanging out with you. And everybody in the chat room, thank you for joining us. I so appreciate your support. And next week we'll be back here again. And don't forget, the show will repeat again on TogiNet Radio. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much, Frankie. Thank you. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Houston. For a limited time at VisionWorks, you can get two complete pairs of glasses, frames, lenses, the works, for just $49 on single vision glasses and $89 on progressives. And that's a good deal. But we offer that pricing on over 500 frames, which makes it a great deal. Right now, buy two complete pairs of single vision glasses for just $49 or two pairs of progressives for only $89. VisionWorks, we're here to help you. Some restrictions apply. See store for details. Offer expires November 10th.